0: If you have your Bibles tonight and you would, find 2 Timothy chapter 2 as we are going verse by verse through this book. And we have been looking that it was Paul's last New Testament letter. It is um, from his second imprisonment. Uh, He is not expecting to live. He is not expecting to go free. And he is looking at the end of his life and his ministry... And he is writing to the young man that God had allowed him to mentor and to disciple and to make sure that the mission continued to march on. This young man was pastoring a church, um, probably in his mid-30s, we don't know for sure, maybe early 40s. It was a strong church. It was a church that God had used in a mighty way, but some things had gone wrong. It wasn't attack from the outside, it was attack from the inside. Some very influential, wealthy people had entered into the church and had decided to turn the direction of this church. They had tried to sow discord. And if you remember, uh, Paul says, they're associating you with me and using it to your disadvantage. That, oh, I can't believe he's like Paul, he's too committed, he's he's too dedicated, he's got all these ideas that that are too extreme for us, and so we need to bring things back to the middle. And so Paul was writing this letter for Timothy, but for Timothy to remember to not be alone, to pour into others who could help him accomplish the task. And we look there in verses 1 through 7 about what God had done in Timothy's life. And you see there how Paul was filled with joy as he prayed and and wept over Timothy. He reminded him not to be ashamed of the gospel, to be loyal to the faith. But in chapter 2, he begins from taking it about encouraging Timothy to not give up and to not quit and not be overwhelmed to then teach it to others to pour into others who can help you teach. If you look there in verse 2 of chapter 2, And the things that you have heard from me, from among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so he says it's not your responsibility to teach alone, but to pour into others that they might teach the word of God as well. And so that a church might be edified, it might be built on the sound teaching of God's word. Now, this is very important because what we see here is the blueprint to stay successful as a church. And I don't mean successful by the world's standards, but by God's standards. Staying faithful to God's church through His Word is the key. A church built upon the Word of God is always a church that can honor God. When a church begins to waver on what the Bible teaches and who is teaching the Word of God, we begin to waver. I think this is important here because he says, commit it to faithful men. I've heard this recently in a discussion with someone. I was telling them about how I believe the pastor is to be the husband of one wife. It is to be a man. It is to be someone who leads his own household well and I am not yet willing to compromise the standard that God set in Titus chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 3. And that individual looked at me and said, but Jake, you don't understand. There are so few faithful, qualified men that we must lower the standard. And I said, you've got it backwards. You have it exactly backwards. You need to keep teaching, keep preaching, keep pouring in to people. You say, well, how does that affect women that are called to teach other women and children? The same is true. God has a ministry for women to teach women and children, as we read in the New Testament. Men to teach men in the family. You say, I don't like that. I don't care. Take it up with the Lord when you get there. And that's what it says. But what we have to remind ourselves is, is that we cannot just commit it to anyone. It is to be committed to people who have been faithful, proven themselves that when God gives them a platform to use, that they will not use that platform to hurt the very bride of Christ that they are to be caring for. You and I see it all the time, the warning to young ministers not to be prideful, not to be arrogant, not to let your put hands on a young man because he struggles with different temptations as a more mature man. And so when we look at this tonight, in verses 14 to the end of the chapter, Paul really gets specific on how to be faithful, how to be committed, how to be unfocused, how not to be sidetracked. And you say, Jake, why does that matter to us? Because God is doing amazing things here. Today alone, I have talked to four people who are either going to be baptized or someone in their family Is going to be baptized in the next few weeks. They've made a profession of faith and are willing to stand before a group of people that always don't sometimes look very friendly and declare to you that Jesus Christ has changed their life. That's a God thing. God has been good to us. We are continually seeing new families. We were blessed to have uh, a new member on Wednesday night. You say, well, who was it? Show up on Wednesday nights and you'll know who joins the church. no. Boy, that hit a nerve, didn't it? Not for you 37 that were there. We were glad to have Roger Lee join our fellowship on Wednesday night. You say, why does that matter? Because those things don't happen most places. And God is at work. God is moving. God is blessing. And we need to remember something that it will not continue just because we want it to. It will not continue to head the right direction just because we think it should. It requires that you and I, who are being faithful to God, to continue being faithful. To continue pouring in and doing the work that God has called us to do. And so tonight, this is a message of encouragement. But it is also a message of caution. An encouragement to remember what God has done in you. But also a warning to avoid the things that could cause us to stumble. And so if you would pray with me, and we'll begin through this chapter. Father, I thank you for your word. And Lord, as Paul wrote this last will and testimony, almost, Father, we pray that you would help us to realize, to evaluate, to apply it to this church. Lord, that you would help us to be the church you want us to be in a world full of hurting churches, struggling churches, Lord, to help us be who you want us to be. Father, I pray that you'd forgive me of anything in my heart or life that would hinder and grieve and quench what your spirit is at work doing in this place tonight. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Be encouraged. If you're taking notes tonight, it's not going to be on the screen because I'm making this up as the spirit lays it on my heart, all right? Be encouraged by what God has done in your past. Be encouraged by what God has done In your past, look here in verse fourteen. Remind them of these things. He is wanting them to be reminded of what God has done for them and what God has done through them. If you remember, in chapters one, he looked at the fact that God had placed that faith in Timothy's family, his grandmother, his mother, and then him. And tonight, if you're going to serve God, you must always remember who you are in Christ. The fact that you have been forgiven, the fact that you have been loved, the fact that you're a child of God, the fact that you have your worth from Him. Because what I am telling you is when people are used by Satan, they will attack everything that gives you confidence. They'll attack your ability to speak. They'll attack your ability to remember. They'll attack your past. They'll bring up your failures. They'll try to divide the people that matter to you. And if you are not confident in who God is and what He has done for you, you will constantly be building on a shaky foundation. And so you have to make this commitment, I'm going to serve God because of who He is, what He's done for me how He has blessed me, how He has taken care of me, how He's been with me through the storms of life, how He's been with me in the valleys, how He's been with me in the fire. God's been good to me no matter what else anyone says. You have to establish that as an individual. You have to establish that as a family. Because the second way that Satan will begin to work on you is your family. Well, your kids aren't perfect enough. Well, your marriage is not good enough. Well, you weren't a very good witness at work. Oh, I bet you wish you hadn't made that decision at the ball field. Boy, I wish you hadn't have fudged the numbers on your taxes. And Satan will begin to remind you of the decisions that you've made as you've left as an individual and how it affects other people. You say, well, where does he go from there? Then he begins to remind you of your failures as a church. I love this because this is where everybody looks like, well, what do you mean? We've never done anything wrong. Look up here, don't lie. Every church has things in their past that they shouldn't have done. Every member has said something, thought something, done something, been a part of something, that when they stand before the Lord, we all should be glad that it is covered by the blood. Every one of us. You cannot erase your past. You cannot erase the church's mistakes. You cannot erase those things. All you can do is trust that God has forgiven you. You say, well, we used to go there, but this happened or that happened or or this was said or that was said. We're sorry. We can't change it. We ask your forgiveness, but we're not going to let the failures of the past hinder us from being who God wants us to be in the future. You say, well, Jake, what are some of those things? Let's just get specific because we might as well just jump right in tonight. It's business meeting night. Let's test the waters, all right? How many times have we spread a rumor about someone that wasn't true? How many times have we opposed someone because we didn't like them? How many times have we been a part of getting rid of a pastor, a Sunday school teacher, a deacon? How many times has a pastor abused the authority that God gave him? These are just some of the things that happen in church that doesn't honor God. You say, well, Jake, that doesn't happen. It does! Everywhere, Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterian, Episcopalian, everywhere it happens. Why? Because we're sinners. And when you put this many sinners together, sometimes sinful things happen. And friends, if you are too embarrassed of the mistakes of the past, you'll never forget all the things that God has done through this local church. All the people's lives who have been changed. All the people who have been saved. All the marriages that God has used to change. All the kids in vacation Bible school that have been busted in. Don't let Satan convince you that everything behind you is going to hinder you. Paul tells Timothy, remind them of who God is and what He's done and how He's worked. And so friends tonight I want to remind you while your past might be checkered your past might be full of failures this church might have done things that it wish it wouldn't have this pastor has plenty of things that he would have done differently we cannot let those failures hinder where we're going what God's going to do how God's going to work be reminded of the love that he has for you he goes on and says charging them Before the Lord, not to strive, that word means battle, about words to no profit, to the ruin of hearers. What he says is, focus on the things of God. Don't be sidetracked by the things that don't matter. Don't be drug into every fight that you are invited to. Don't open your mouth every opportunity that is given to you. Speak with the authority of God's Word. Handle the Word of God. Proclaim the Word of God. And if it matters that much, then stand upon it. But don't be so busy chasing things that God has no business for us to chase. He says it will bring ruin to the hearers. In verse 15 it says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. As an individual, I need to know that my Christian walk is not something that just happens, it's work. Serving the Lord is not just something that happens. It is a discipline. Every morning I have to make the commitment that I'm going to get up. I'm going to read God's Word. I'm going to spend time in prayer. I'm going to spend time praying for other people. I'm going to spend time as a husband, committed to my wife and to my children. I'm going to spend time committed as a member of this church to serve God. It doesn't just happen by chance. He says, serve God diligently. Be committed. Know what God has called you to do and do it to the best of the abilities that He's given you. Why? Look there in that verse, it says a worker who does not need to be ashamed. Friends, there are going to be many children of God when God asks them how they served Him are going to be ashamed. Why? Because they're unfaithful. Tonight, if God has given you a gift and you are not using it, you are not being ashamed diligent you're not being approved you are still a child of God you have not lost your standing with God but you are not where God wants you to be I don't know what that is for you sometimes I don't even know what God wants me to be doing half the time but I have to commit myself to trust him to serve him to follow him the number one way that you can serve God is by rightly dividing the word of truth that means handling God's word appropriately Listen, if you ever hear a pastor who says he can answer every deep theological question or situation in the Bible that doesn't make sense, he is a false prophet. Because there are things in God's Word that I look at like, I don't understand. His ways are higher than mine. All I can do is show you this is what the Bible says, this is what it says over here, this is what it says over here, and I am praying and seeking God's face for what it means. Be careful of someone who has every answer to things that only God knows. You know what we call those? Cult leaders. Cult leaders are the ones that can twist and turn and bend and manipulate, that can answer every deep question of God. Friends, all we can do is study the Scripture, learn the Scripture, pray over the Scripture, and trust that God can show us what is right. It goes on in verse 16 there and says, "...but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness." And their message will spread like cancer. You need to know if you give an an ear to foolishness, it only spreads. If you put fire in a situation and you pour gasoline of stupidity on it, it only spreads. And what he says here is, if you're not careful, you will be so busy chasing the things that don't matter that you will continue to bring other people along with you. Look what it says there. Shun, stay away from, avoid, run from, profane and idle babblings. That means not every rumor that you hear you should share. That means not every crazy idea that comes up you should give ear to. It's kind of like the saying, don't answer a fool is folly. It goes on then and tells us some examples of that. And their message will spread like cancer. Hymnaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. You say, well, Jake, this is not idle babbling. This is about the resurrection. They were teaching the resurrection had already happened. There wasn't going to be a resurrection of the dead for you and I at some point. And Paul says this is idle babbling? No, what he's saying is this. You always address error with truth. You don't address error with theory or philosophy or opinions. You must address error with what does God's word say. When the world looks at us and said, why are there only two genders? It is because in the book of Genesis, God made them male and female. When God's word, when the world looks at us and says, why is homosexuality an abomination to God? And I am not scared to say that word. It's what it says. It's detestable to God. You look on the slippery slope of Romans when depravity gets worse and worse and worse. It's not at the beginning. It's at the end. It is because marriage is sacred. The marriage bed is sacred. Marriage is a picture of God's love for His church. It's not an issue of this is what I think, this is what I feel, this is what God's Word says. You say, well, what about when someone says, Jake, the church shouldn't be so political on topics like abortion. It's not a political issue. You say, Jake, I won't come here because you talk like that. Then don't come here. Because why? The Bible says that it is murder. You say, how does it say that? In the Old Testament, witchcraft and sorcery and pagan idolatry made their children pass through the fire. They sacrificed the children for the sake of worshiping a false god. And we're doing the same thing. The list goes on and on and on, and you have to recognize something. You cannot argue with people who do not have the same standard of truth, the same morality that God has given you, the same authority that God gives you. All you can do is proclaim God's Word and trust Him to do the rest. Listen to how Jesus prayed for the disciples and to the people that they would go to. In John chapter 17, if you'd like to flip over there, we're going to be pretty much staying in this text tonight. But in John chapter 17, Jesus is praying. And listen to what he says in verses 14 through 19 to the disciples, to those who would be ministering. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of this world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world, and for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they may be sanctified by the Truth. He didn't say, take them out. I wish he did. I wish the moment that you got saved, the rapture happened, and you were gone. I wish that's what happened, but it's not. Jesus said, I don't want you to take them out of the world, Father, but just keep them from the evil world. And how do you keep them from the evil one? The Word of God. The Word of truth. Friends, if you want to know how to be the parent God wants you to be, stop listening to Oprah. Stop listening to, De- to Dr. Phil and, for Lord have mercy, quit watching Jerry Springer reruns. Some of watch him and just don't want to admit it. Don't allow that kind of nonsense, that kind of filth, that kind of garbage to affect your way of thinking because it's a cancer. That is why so many families, young families in this church struggle with standing on God's word because they went to half-infidel liberal colleges that have told them that God's word is not true and this is not true. And it's just, it's beating at that foundation. And so tonight you need to know that the only answer for the problems we are in, the situations that we face, is God's word. If you want to know how to be successful in business, God's word. If you want to know how to manage your money, God's word. If you don't want to know how to raise children, God's word. If you want to be a church member, God's word. If you want to know how to be a soul winner, God's word. If you want to know how to do all of these things that God has called you to do while he is here, you need to sanctify yourself with what? The word is truth. But listen to how he prays for the people that they are going to. Because this is how we should be praying as God sends us. Starting in verse 20 of that same chapter, it says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. What is their word? The gospel. As we go out into our community, we should be praying, Lord, help those who will believe because of the gospel. Look what it says in verse 21, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may be perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. He prays that they understand who they are in Christ who they belong to, how they love each other, as they go forth that a lost and dying world, will look at them and say, they are sent by Jesus. Now, I'm going to ask this question, and this is one of those that's going to cost me. Does anyone that you go to look at your life and think they were sent by Jesus? Are you an ambassador for Christ? Does your actions and life reflect something that doesn't make sense to this world? Is there a kindness, a compassionate? Is there truth? Is there mercy? All of the attributes that describe the Lord Jesus Christ, do you reflect them? Or are you known as someone who is bossy, loudmouthed, arrogant, prideful, stubborn, difficult... The world might call you motivated. But what God calls you is disobedient. I ask you that question because as he prayed, how does the world think you got to them? Who sent you? Who sent me? I tell you, it's really affected how I treat people when I'm sitting in a restaurant. If you know anything about me at a restaurant, I love to drink coffee. As fast as you can bring it, I'll drink it. All right, I take my ice cubes out, and I just chug it. Take my ice cubes out, chug it, all right? And if it doesn't come very fast, I can think, I'm sitting here, I need some coffee, right? I'll even get up and go get it myself, but apparently that's more insulting than waiting, all right? So I have to tell myself, who sent you, Jake? Who sent you, Jake? Who sent you, Jake? Who sent you, Jake? Who are you reflecting as you sit here? Who are you reflecting as you respond? Who who are you representing when they see your actions and life? That's what he's saying. Pray, Lord, that when we go, people see Christ in us. If we want to reach a community around us, if we want to be faithful, it is not about being sent by this church. It is not being sent by the political party of your choice. It is not being sent by your family name. It is do people see Christ in me? A love for them that doesn't have earthly roots. But a love that comes straight from the throne of God. Second thing I want to show you is the specifics about avoiding unfaithfulness. Because you thought when I get specific, it gets awkward. Paul gets even more specific. Paul starts in verse 19 and says, Nevertheless... The solid foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows who are His. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. You see, because what was happening in this church is the same that will happen in this community. They call themselves a believer. They call themselves a Christian. Do you not know what they are like? And Paul says, don't you worry. God knows who are His. God knows those who were truly saved and who were not. That's why the Bible tells us that we are not to judge another master's servants. You have no idea, my heart. And I have no idea yours you say, Jake, I can do the evidence. Look up here. For a while, all of us can fake the evidence. I can't believe how many times I've sit across from someone. I've had the highest view of them, the, the highest thoughts of what they're like and, and their character and their nature and got up leaving thinking, whoa, that's a shock. I never saw that coming. And friends, what you need to be reminded is you are going to serve alongside people who are going to discourage you. You're going to serve with people who are going to fail. Things are going to happen and you're going to look and say, I never imagined that could happen for them. How could they do that? But friends, never doubt that God knows are His. But then He goes on and says this though. These marching instructions for us. Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. You see, we have gotten to this idea that as long as you call yourself a Christian, you can live however you want and God is fine with it. That is not biblical. He says, Flee from iniquity. If I'm going to declare to a lost and dying world that I belong to Jesus Christ, He has saved me, He has changed me, He has made me brand new. What He says is, flee from iniquity. Don't dabble in sin. Don't wade as close to it as I can. Flee from it. And that literally means to turn and run. And I am way too fat to turn and run. But that's what it means. We have got to get back to the belief as a church that we should avoid the appearance of evil, not get as close to it as we can. I always get a kick out of this because people will say, well, Jake, what can I do on the Sunday and what can I not do on a Sunday? Or can I go here and eat or can I go there and eat? Or can I go to this event or not this event? Look up here. I am not the Lord and Savior of your life. And if the Word of God doesn't tell you specifically, you need to get alone with Him, and whatever is farthest from sin, that's where you ought to hang out. That's how you ought to live. Not in self righteousness, but I never want to cause someone to stumble. That used to be the way the church operated, but now it's not. But what we see here is if this church wants to continue to make an impact, just like Paul told Timothy, if you're going to name Christ, you've got to depart from iniquity. Look what it goes on and says as we just work right through this tonight. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleans himself from the latter... He will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. What he's talking about here is the simple fact that in every home there are different kinds of things, some to look at, some to use, some are clean, some are dirty, but he's not talking about salvation here. He's talking about usefulness. What he's talking about is, is you can look different, you can be different, and still be used by God. You don't have to be the shiny golden cup that is used only on special occasions. But you can be something plain and simple and be used by God. But don't miss this. On the flip side of that, you can look like the gold and silver and be a disobedience in your service to God and bring dishonor to him. Don't miss this, it's not about the content of what the cup is made of. It is being used for the glory and purpose of God. And looking at myself in the mirror, I know for sure I'm not a gold and silver vessel, All right, I know that. I'm okay with that. God didn't give me certain gifts and certain talents and certain abilities. Because look what it says in verse 22. How can you make yourself useful to God? Don't miss this. He gives a list. A specific, targeted list. Flee also, youthful lust. Now, let's just stop there. He is writing to someone who is 30-something to early 40s. Sins in that age group are sometimes different than they are when you get older in life. One, he's talking about sexual sins. Why? Most young pastors who get in trouble get in trouble for one of two reasons. Women or money. He says you've got to flee from that. The second thing he's talking about, if you know anything about young people is, most of the time young people are quick to talk when they should be listening. You say, well, Jake, I know more than those old grouchy people. The Bible says to honor the older brother. Do not rebuke the older man. There should be caution when we speak, young people. No one needs to hear your opinion all the time. Sometimes it's best to close mouth and listen. There's a tendency to know all. There's a tendency not to have patience when you're younger. It's a desire that it has to be done. It has to be now. It has to be, it has to be, it has to be. These are all youthful lust, youthful things. But look what he says to pursue, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. He's talking about how we love each other. Look what it says there. I should want to love you. I should want to live at peace with you. A Christian that's always looking for fight is heart is in the wrong place. A Christian who comes to every service looking for someone to criticize someone to be at war with, someone to correct, is you're not worshiping in a pure heart. The Bible calls us to be peacemakers. That we're to go to our brothers and sisters because we love them, not because we gain things from them. It goes on as we're almost out of time and I'll try to run to the end. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. That word for ignorant means unknown, unlearned. Don't argue about things that really don't matter because it builds into strife. It causes division. But look what it says and we'll run to the end and be done. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all. Able to teach, patience, In humility, correcting those who are in opposition. I say this before every business meeting, and you think I came up with it on my own. I did not. What it says there is you can disagree, but you cannot be disagreeable. You can disagree, but there should not be a time in a church where people are screaming, cursing, throwing fits, acting like spoiled children. Okay, I didn't need an amen. It's still right. But to be gentle to who? Listen, I got 12 minutes, all right? All. It doesn't mean the people you agree with or disagree with. It means that when you are serving the Lord's church, every person that God sends here has value, even if you don't see it, even if you don't like it. Even if you wish God didn't have them here. And you know who this is specifically addressed to? The pastor. Trust me, I've been happy to see some people go, and I've been more happy to see them. Wait. I've been happy to see some people come, and I've been more happy to see some people leave. And you know what God always deals with me about? That's never supposed to be your heart, Jake. Never supposed to be your heart. And it's hard. Some people look better going than they do coming. But God has to get along with me and say, Jake, I sent them there for a reason. How did you treat them? Oh, Lord. Do you not know the things they said, they did, the way they acted? Lord, do you not understand? But what he always convicts me of is how did you treat them? Were you willing to turn the other cheek? Were you either to close your mouth and let me fight your battles for you? And I've had to say to the Lord, no. I've not always been that person. I've not always been that shepherd. And I am telling you, I have not always done it right. And neither have you. It says, patient in humility correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. This is where this chapter gets really tricky because some people say he's talking only to Christians who have been led astray. Others believe he is talking to false teachers in the church, and I haven't made a decision yet, all right? But what he is teaching us here is that we should always be working and ministering to people with the hope that God changes their heart. We don't sit across from someone and think that I hope God judges them, destroys them. I hope that God changes them. That should be our heart in our marriage. Tonight if you're married to someone who's not a Christian, that should always be your heart's prayer is God change their heart tonight if that's your heart you say Jake I don't love that person I'm angry at that person I hate that person you need to understand something you need to begin to pray God change my heart you say well Jake this sermon is, doesn't make a lot of sense it does if you've ever been involved in serving the Lord if you've never been involved serving the Lord it won't matter but if you're here tonight and you're like me, you read this and think, boy, I've not always been faithful. I've not always been an approved worker. Boy, I wish I could have said that different, done that different. I even wish there were ways I could have prayed differently. Because if you've never prayed for someone with anger in your heart, those prayers sometimes start out not very God-honoring. But tonight, God says we can do it right. We can do it right if we will humble ourselves, ask for forgiveness. Remember that Christ is in the business of changing lives, changing marriages, changing families, and He has given us the wonderful privilege of proclaiming the truth, of loving people where they're at, and being used by God to make a difference. I know I said that God has been doing some amazing things here at this church, and we are extremely, extremely blessed but when I pray, and after I get done thanking God, do you know what I ask Him for? More. I ask Him to send more people. I ask Him to send more hurting people. I ask Him to send more cases where we can minister to people. I pray, God, in a community that is broken, in, in a community that needs the gospel, Lord, to help us be faithful. To reach as many as possible before it's too late. This morning, as you know, I was pumped up. We had the van ministry it was ready to go, and something didn't work out, they weren't able to, to come today. And my first thought was, Oh man. Then the Lord had to remind me and says, Just pray for next week. Who else are you going to invite? Can you fill the van up? Can you be praying for God to raise someone else to drive the other van? And I thought, Whoa now, Lord, (laughs) I committed to drive the van. Let's not get ahead of yourself here. And I begin to think, Lord, my faith is so small compared to what God wants to do. And tonight, my challenge to you is you might not think you have a place. You might not think you have a gift. You might not think God can use you. You are thinking too small to how he created you because you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And God has a purpose for you if you'll just let him. Father, tonight I thank you for your word. Lord, I have tried to be faithful to go word by word, line by line, trusting that your spirit is at work. Father, thank you for the fact that you love us and that you allow us to serve you. Lord, thank you for the privilege of being in a local church. Tonight, Lord, I pray that you would show us that the church is your plan to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to be obedient. Help us to be moldable. Lord, help to shape us into the men and women that you want us to be, regardless of the cost. Lord, that we might watch and see what you are doing that can only be explained as you're doing it. Father, tonight I pray for this congregation, if there's anyone in here that's lost, that you would help them through the conviction of your Holy Spirit, through pointing them to you that they would be saved. But tonight I know this crowd and many in this crowd, and I pray, Lord, that you'd show them that they have value, that they have potential that you can use to serve you for your glory. And Lord, I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.